Thanks, John, for that and for all of you who have participated in our service so far. It's very much appreciated. Well, good morning once again. A Catholic priest, and you know automatically where this is going, a Catholic priest, a Baptist preacher and a rabbi were sitting around drinking coffee at their regular coffee shop. Someone made a comment to them, you know, one of the the waiting staff made a comment to them, you know, preaching to people really isn't all that hard. The real challenge would be to preach to a bear. One thing led to another and the conversation continued. And they decided that they would all find a bear and attempt to convert it and then get together in seven days' time to discuss their experiences. And so one week later, they met up again. Father Flannery, who had his arm in a sling and various bandages on his body and limbs, was the first to speak. Well, he said, I went into the woods to find a bear. And when I found him, I began to read to him from the catechism. Well, that bear came after me and began to slap me around, so I quickly grabbed my holy water and sprinkled him. And Holy Mary, Mother of God, he became as gentle as a lamb. Reverend Billy Bob, the Baptist, spoke next. He was in a wheelchair with an IV drip hanging off it. Well, I went out and found me a bear, and I began to read to my bear from the Bible. But that bear came after me. We wrestled and we rolled around on the ground and we rolled down the hill and we rolled into a creek. So I quickly dunked him and baptized his hairy soul. And just like you said, he became as gentle as a lamb. The priest and the reverend looked down at the rabbi who was lying in his hospital bed. He was in a body cast, in traction with IV and monitors running in and out of him. And the rabbi looked up to them and said, looking back on it, circumcision may not have been the best place to start. (laughs) The reason why we traditionally have the theme of joy at the season of Advent is that it's more than halfway through the Advent season and Christmas is closer to us at the, at, than it was at the start of Advent, that, that we've reached past that halfway point and Christmas is almost here. Now, according to a 2017 United Nations report, Australians are as equally happy as the Swiss. Australia comes in as ninth and the Swiss come in as tenth. And Australia has decreased slightly in our happiness from the last time this survey was done 10 years ago. If you were to ask the average Aussie parent what they wanted for their child, then time and time again they say that they want their child to grow up and be happy. Parents buy the baby on board signs to declare to the world the precious cargo is in the back seat, nestled in what will soon be mum's taxi. In the 15 years that I spent in youth ministry, I've seen parents try and cocoon their children, to BFF their children, to best friends forever, 
their children, to strive to be there for them, to encourage them to have all the potential in the world that they can one day shoot to the moon and be an astronaut when they grow up. They relentlessly pursued happiness in their own life and in the lives of their children. But am I happy enough? Is my child happy enough? In her paper, How to Land Your Kids in Therapy, Laurie Gottlieb warns that the pursuit of happiness where parents constantly intervene when their children, uh, when their child is left out of a birthday invite or when they expect that, um, you know, if Johnny and Jenny, they should just get a ribbon because they've participated in the, the, um, the activity, because they've just shown up, they should get an award for turning up. It can be just such a great way to screw up your kids. The pursuit of happiness also influences some churches where there can be little difference in some churches from uh, and uh, their sermons from a self-help serenade. People can find themselves shopping around, church hopping from one church to another based on convenience and whether they come away from that Sunday service feeling more happy. According to one of Australia's leading social researchers, Hugh McKay, Our pursuit of happiness and feelings of entitlement are a great way to leave us hollow and miserable. In McKay's book, The Good Life, he suggests that striving to make your kids happy is a great way to screw them up, is a great way to mess with their heads. A better focus is to strive to help them to be good people. Rather than encouraging them to be happy, to encourage them to be good people, to grow up to be good social citizens, to contribute to society. For me, there's a subtle but a significant difference between the common desire for happiness and the experience of joy in somebody's life. So how have I seen this difference? Well, often when I hear people describe feelings of happiness, it's because of the absence of stress. It's the absence of sadness. It's the experience of euphoria. It's the brain chemistry that lights up with oxytocin, with endorphins, with dopamine and a range of other neurochemicals that go on in our brain when we have that feel-good, light-hearted, great moment. Yet when I talk to people about joy, I've observed a different set of circumstances at play. It's almost as if joy can at times be counterintuitive. It can be experienced despite, not the absence of, despite being in a state of stress, despite experiencing sadness, despite the tough stuff of life. Whereas happiness is often seen as being like a drug, that we seek the next thing to give our happiness the, the next kick that we need to get along in life, my observation is that joy is found even in the most difficult of circumstances. But in these people who know joy, there is a centeredness, there is a peace that Lynette talked about last week when she talked about this peace that that resides deep within, that comes from God. There's a different perspective that is revealed in their life. I am reminded of that hymn 
that kind of sums it up. It is well with my soul. Paul, when writing to the church in Corinth, uh, provides us with with a wonderful context uh, for the experience of joy. And if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. If you've got a different translation, I'm sure you'll be able to follow along. So, at a time of the year when we're often searching for those stocking stuffers, those things to help fill out, those things that will be the key to unlock happiness. Paul, while not using the word joy, still gives us a trail full of clues that lead to true joy. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18, and we read these words. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay. Uh, Sorry, we are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed in on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we, we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life in Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present to Himself together, present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be more, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. That our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. The first thing that we discover in this passage is that joy is not found at Proud's or at Meyer or at David Jones. You can't pick up a bottle of joy at Liquorland. And it doesn't matter how much you spray the perfume called joy over your body, you can even take a bath in it. But it doesn't guarantee you're going to experience joy in your life. The first clue that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is that joy, true joy, comes from God. We also find this in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 26 and 27, where it tells us, The God of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. 
honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy, because joy comes from God, fills his dwelling. The powerful author and creator of light and life is also the creator and the source of true, of pure joy. No batteries required. And the, the joy that God gives is not going to be superseded by another model next year that you need to upgrade or renew or take back and, and change over again. It comes by recognizing the futility of looking to other gods for joy other idols that, are fill, that we fill our life with. That when we come to God, still dripping with the muck of this life off our bodies, all the things that this life dishes up, when we accept that looking deep within ourselves only turns us inside out and knots us up, when we accept that God took on human form, flesh and blood, and took on himself the worst of this life, to provide us the best life in Him. Then we come to understand that everlasting joy comes from a personal relationship with the sin-forgiving God. The second clue that Paul leaves on for us on this trail to joy is that joy is not the key or a recipe for a quick fix. Once again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we we find that it's filled with adjectives that would be happiness killers. Fragility, under pressure, perplexed, people out to get us, knocking us down, suffering and facing death. And as tough as it sounds, these situations in life and the times and, and God wants to bring us joy and wants that to be activated in our life when we experience these sorts of things. It's almost as if, you know, for some of you girls, I'm not sure whether many of you boys have, have seen it, but in those magazines where you have that little patch on the magazine that when you rub it, it releases that scent to give you that aroma. It's almost as if when we rub up against the tough stuff of life, when we're bruised, when we're crushed, like some of these oils that we find in lavender and other things, that we, when we bruise lemon myrtle, that it releases that aroma, that in the pressure and the tough stuff of life, when we feel bruised, when we feel battered, that's when God wants to activate joy in us. And it can be such a powerful witness to the world around us. Absolutely, we can find these situations painful. We can find them frustrating. And with a, without a doubt, we can find that there are times where, where tears will stream down our face. We can grieve. We can be impacted by death, including the death of a dream. But because the Spirit of God lives in those who have accepted Jesus as the boss of their life, we can dig deep. We have God's Spirit living in us who can minister to our spirit and release in us true joy. But it's not comes from some self-flagellation experience where we beat ourselves up, where we look for painful experiences in life as a form of punishment or as a form of self-purification. That sort of distorted understanding does not reflect God's heart. 
The key to unlocking joy in tough times comes through a change in our perspective, a change that Jesus brings. Through the eternal Son of God, in the form of Jesus, stepping into our time helps us to challenge our painful and frustrating circumstances. Once again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and following, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we, we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Because of what the Son of God achieved in His first coming, Jesus' death and resurrection, it promises us a better and eternal future that helps to keep things in perspective. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, a verse that um, Roz referred to, we read that having the right perspective not only helped Jesus to experience joy, but it can also help us in our understanding of joy too. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honour beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't be weary, become weary and give up. Jesus first coming helps us to see things in perspective as we await his promised uh, all that he has promised and all that will be revealed at his second coming so joy comes from god the source of all true and pure joy joy is not dependent on our circumstances we can unlock joy through our perspective on the temporary compared to the eternal. And the last clue to experiencing joy is, where, is that we remember that it is, not lo- it is lost through self-centeredness. Joy is lost when we become self-centered, but it grows through self-sacrifice. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, and then also in verse 15, we read this, So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. And in verse 15, we read this, all of this is for your benefit and God's grace reaches more and more people. There will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Joy, a gift that can never be bought, but in the name, in in Jesus' name can be readily given and received sourced in a relationship with God and challenges difficult circumstances of life because of an eternal perspective that all Jesus has promised us will be realized when he comes again. So what's God saying to us today? What is God saying to you today? I want to encourage you to take some time to pause and reflect on our time today. And there's a couple of points that I'd encourage you to to think about. And if you've got those little response cards, then you might want to pull that out in one of the pencils as well. 
And the first question is this, and you don't have to answer all of them, but there might be one that stands out. What do you normally turn to so that you can feel happy? To deal with those issues of pain or sadness or whatever it might be, what do you normally turn to to try and deal with that? And then to counter that, to say, how might you grow in joy through Jesus? What might God be wanting to say to you about that today? And then thirdly, who does God want you to share joy with? Especially as we remember this Christmas season. Especially as we remember the joy that Jesus brings through his first coming, his death and his resurrection and the promise of his second coming, that he will come again. What you normally turn to so you can feel happy. How might you grow in joy through Jesus? And what does God want or who does God want you to share joy with this Christmas? We're going to have some music played. And as the music's played, take some time to reflect. And as I said, during the final song that we'll be singing today, there'll be an opportunity for me to collect those cards. God bless you.